This is the Free Flow Podcast, a media production of Free Flow Institute. I'm Chandra Brown, founder and director of Free Flow Institute. And this autumn, we are bringing you profiles of three women, all of them past Free Flow scholars who are doing imaginative and novel work in the world. In this triad of episodes, something we're calling the Wild Innovation Series, we'll dive into their stories and motivations, and we'll see how wild places inspire their missions. We hope you enjoy season three of the Free Flow Podcast. This is the last of three very special episodes, our Wild Innovation Series. Profiles of three women unique in the world, all of them Free Flow Institute alumni, all of them Free Flow scholarship recipients, and all of them doing innovative or revolutionary work at the nexus of rivers, conservation, and narrative. Today, you'll follow Free Flow alum Brooke Hess on her journey to restore wild rivers by paddling a thousand miles from the headwaters of the Salmon River to the Pacific Ocean. Brooke is a science writer, activist, and professional kayaker. And this spring, she and three other women spent two and a half months paddling the route from the Salmon River's source to the sea. Their trip was part of an effort to fight for the removal of four dams on the Lower Snake River. Free Flow Institute wouldn't exist without wild rivers that flow freely and support critical communities of plants, animals, and people. But human activity, like building dams and mining, can threaten the character and vitality of those rivers. Brooks' activism is part of a mounting effort to protect the river ecosystems that do so much for our world and that inspire our work here at Free Flow Institute. In June of 2020, Brooke Hess and her friend Libby Toby made a plan to kayak from the headwaters of the Salmon River all the way to the ocean. Appropriately, they came up with the idea while paddling the Locksaw River in Idaho, not far from their homes in Missoula, Montana. We borrowed our friend Tyler's duo, so a double kayak, and we kayaked the Locksaw at like questionably high flows. Like, I don't think it was really a good decision, but it turned out okay. And it was just like the best day of kayaking either of us had ever had. Brooke and Libby have spent a lot of their lives on rivers. Brooke is a professional kayaker, and Libby has worked as a river guide for over a decade. They both paddle for fun, a lot. On that jubilant day spent paddling a tandem kayak down the cold, clear, free-flowing Loxa, the Salmon Source to Sea expedition was born. We decided to kayak the Salmon River from the source to the sea, make a film, do it as a conservation project, and use our academic backgrounds, hers is in climate change policy, mine's in science journalism, to like make this conservation campaign a big thing. I met Brooke Hess back in 2015, kayaking. I followed her on my first time down the Locksaw, and she gave me tips when we went surfing at the Wave in Missoula. In 2019, Brooke received an American Whitewater Scholarship to come on a free flow course on the main Salmon River in Idaho. She was kayaking full-time, but dreaming about grad school, and she was doing more and more freelance writing, too. She wanted to write about gender inequality in whitewater, and she wanted to learn more about the science behind rivers. She had ambitions beyond kayaking, and she says her free-flow trip was a turning point. 
Brooke realized she wanted to dive deeper into advocating for the rivers and outdoor spaces that she loved. And that was the ultimate goal of the Salmon Source to Sea expedition, to marry her love for rivers and kayaking with cultivation of awareness for river conservation. We were advocating for the removal of the four lower Snake River dams. Dams are big problems for fish. Salmon are anadromous fish, which means that over the course of their lives, they swim from mountain headwaters to the ocean and then back again. Dams fragment or derail their trips. Dams can make it impossible for salmon to reach the ocean or to return home to their spawning grounds. Dams create reservoirs of stagnant river water, and that stagnation causes the water to heat up far past temperatures that support healthy salmon runs. They also slow or eliminate the current, disorienting fish who are trying to follow the river to the sea or back home to the mountains. Anadromous fish in the Columbia River Basin hatch in the upper reaches of the Snake and Salmon River watersheds. When they've grown to about three inches long, as smolts, they begin their epic journey downstream, down the Salmon, into the Snake, and then the Columbia, to finally arrive at the mouth of the Columbia, at the Pacific Ocean. And these Salmon smolts, they're three inches long, like they're little babies. And they have to do this huge journey with like all these predatorial fish in the reservoirs and hot water, like not great conditions. Salmon and other anadromous fish can spend between one and seven years in the ocean. And then they make their way back up river as if by magic to the places they came from originally. The upper snake and salmon rivers provide some of the most critical spawning grounds for these endangered species. When they reach their natal streams, they reproduce, and then they die, their bodies supplying the riparian habitat with critical nutrients from the sea, and feeding megafauna and fertilizing trees. But on river systems occluded by dams, fish who were able to make it to the ocean when they were young will face those same concrete walls and currentless reservoirs on their way home. The dams make it all but impossible to get home. The return rates for wild salmon in the Columbia system are abysmal. But the rivers used to be full of fish, making the trip from the ocean to the upper salmon or upper snake in the summer. Vice Chairman Shannon Wheeler of the Nimipu or Nez Perce tribe told Brooke that stories passed down through his tribe describe abundant salmon in the river. And his grandmother spoke of these salmon runs on on the south fork of the salmon that she described as tidal waves coming up the river. It was like the river was walking backwards. That's how many salmon were coming up the river at the time. And that image is just like, it was in my head the whole time paddling down this river. I've never seen anything like that. And I've grown up on these rivers. Those enormous numbers of salmon weren't just impressive to the eye. These healthy salmon runs were integral, critical to the ecosystem. They were critical also as cultural, spiritual, and nutritional sustenance for the people who have depended on them for thousands of years. Indigenous people in these river systems, like the Nimipu, are salmon people. Their entire way of being is interconnected with these fish. But in recent years, their rivers have been nearly empty of salmon. In 2021, 
Biologists counted only four wild adult sockeye salmon that returned home to spawn in the mountain headwaters. So it's like a pretty dire state right now. And scientists say that if these four lower Snake River dams aren't removed, the salmon populations of the Snake River Basin will go extinct within the next 10 to 20 years. Brooke and her team have been aware of these issues as paddlers for a long time. They kayak or raft on the various forks of the salmon each spring, and they wanted to do something to help bring salmon back to the basin. Something to encourage those who don't paddle on rivers every day, who don't have the opportunity to intimately know a wild river, to speak up for the fish. The Source to Sea expedition would allow them to tell the story through their own eyes and to motivate others to act. Two years after that June day on the Loxaw, Libby and Brooke were preparing for the trip of a lifetime, a 78-day kayaking journey from source to sea. They prepped for the trip in Missoula, where on a chilly April evening, Brooke stood in a crowd of people outside of a beloved river shop. She was at a launch party just days before the journey would begin. By then, the team had grown to include Brooke, Libby, and two other women filmmaker Alia Payne, and artist and mariner Haley Thompson. The lively crowd ate corn dogs and picked through potluck side dishes set out on a raft trailer. Kayaks were piled along a nearby chain link fence. Brooke said she hoped the party would drum up support for the team's effort to protect wild rivers. Missoula community is psyched on boating, on rivers, on free-flowing rivers, so... This night is bringing everyone together as a community to like support free-flowing rivers and hopefully get more people stoked on our project and stoked on taking action to take these dams out. More than 50 people gathered in support. I shared a message for the ladies from Angel Sabata, who's the language program coordinator for the Nez Pierce tribe. These rivers are on her tribe's ancestral homelands and the Nimipu have been advocating for the removal of the snake dams for decades. Angel wrote that, according to a traditional story, animals were originally able to speak until humans arrived on Earth. After that, humans became responsible for advocating for the animals. By doing this, you are speaking up for the fish beings to raise awareness on their behalf for the removal of the four Lower Snake River dams and a moratorium on the Stibnite Gold Project in order to save the fish beings who so valiantly sacrificed themselves to us at the great council place where they remembered us. And in reciprocity, you are remembering them. You are pouring out your hearts for them. Prayers for your safety and success. From Angel. <laughs> Days later, Brooke's gear was packed and the team was starting the journey in the mountains of central Idaho. Not in kayaks yet, but on skis. Spring snow fell as the team skied past exposed marshy pools. This snow would provide the water that the team would float on for the next few months. We're at the headwaters of the salmon. The slamming salmon. On the first leg of their trip, Brooke and her team paddled two stretches of the salmon, from Marsh Creek down through the middle, and then the main from just below its confluence with Redfish Lake Creek. They decided to match the timing and route of the expedition with the migration of young salmon. 
they'd follow the route that young salmon take from the Salmon River in Idaho's mountains down to the Snake in southeast Washington, and then on through the Columbia on the Washington-Oregon border, eventually to the ocean. Brooks said she chose that route in an effort to find common ground with the fish. After a day of skiing and hauling boats, the group reached the put-in and started their paddle downstream. It was May, but the weather was wintry, as it often is in the high peaks of Idaho. Hang on, let me put this in your armpit for a second. Brooks says the first leg of the trip was truly wild, just like the rivers that they imagined salmon returning to year after year. We were on the middle fork of the salmon, which is just like so famous for being wild and beautiful and it's wilderness, it's amazing. And then we were on the main salmon and even the upper stretches of the main salmon, which aren't wilderness, they're pristine. Like we would see hundreds of bald eagles a day. We'd see 500 great blue herons a day, like everywhere. When the team passed through towns, they held advocacy events. Their goal was to encourage people to contact their elected officials to advocate for the removal of the lower snake dams. And each time, people showed up. They also documented their journey on social media. Brooke said she wanted their posts on social media to reach people who aren't necessarily diehard environmental activists. So we really tried hard to make our videos funny and engaging to a different audience that wouldn't normally engage with conservation organizations and try to get those people stoked on this and try to get them to take action and to call their senators, to take the Murray Inslee survey, to write letters, all that stuff. In a slow motion video posted to Instagram, Haley cracks a fizzy beverage to celebrate the group's 69th day on the river. In another post, Libby and Brooke are pictured in sultry poses on the riverbank wearing dry suits and fake mustaches. They even raffled off dates with Brooke and Libby to incentivize folks to contact their elected officials. On day 34, the team came upon their first big obstacle, a rapid called Slide on the Lower Salmon. Brooke remembers that moment. And it's just this like massive horizon line after like you've been paddling class two for a long time. I was like, oh my God, this is not, I can't even see the rapid, but from what it sounds like, I don't want to run it. I just don't know what's scarier to me, the rapid or the portage. Yeah. The team decided on the portage, a treacherous three-hour-long undertaking. So you're walking across these boulders that, like, when you take a step and, like, put weight on a rock, it'll move. And then, but if you, like, fall, you're either falling onto other jagged boulders that are at a super steep incline, or you're falling into this massive, like, class 5 plus whitewater. So it's not a place where you can mess up. So then we like finally got everything across and we're like looking, we're like across the scary portage, but we're like, okay, cool. Like how do we get back in the water? Cause everything's cliffed out at that point. And so the only option to get back in the water was this like 12 foot seal launch down this really steep cliff type face. A seal launch is when a kayaker slides or drops into the water from a ledge above the river. Like, all of us were like, well, I don't want to do this, but, like, there wasn't really another option. So we did the seal launch. Yeah, everyone styled it. I don't know, I'm just really proud of the way everyone was like, wow, this sucks, and I don't want to keep doing this, but, like, I'm going to keep doing it. So we all got back in our boats after that, 
and we were all like hooting and hollering. We were so psyched to be done with that because we were told that slide would be the crux of the whole trip. And two miles later, we made it to the confluence with the snake, which was a huge milestone for the trip because then from then on, we were paddling on the Snake River. We had finished the salmon portion of the trip. Paddling out of the salmon and through the confluence with the snake was a big moment. The team had paddled nearly 175 miles on the permitted and protected salmon. But they were now entering the first segment of the trip where they'd be able to feel in real time the effects of the dams. Brooke describes approaching the first dam. We had spent the previous month paddling in the most amazing mountain ecosystems. And then we hit the snake and it was just immediately different. You could tell that the ecosystem was not healthy. The water was hot. The water smelled bad. There was like a thin film of gunk on the surface of the water. We saw maybe like one eagle in the entire four days we were on the snake. There was there were no people. There were no animals. It was flat. It was slow. There were dead fish in the water. Those were the only fish we saw were the dead ones floating in the reservoirs. Brooks says that witnessing the contrast between the free-flowing salmon and the impounded snake had a lasting impact on her. It was really awful to see that. And it's, it's just disappointing that we as humans did that. And it, it doesn't have to be that way. But a week after making it to the Snake River, the team received some good news. Washington officials released the results of eight months of research on the four lower Snake River dams. The news was monumental. It recognized the damage the dams had done to salmon populations, and it recommended their removal. Brooks says it felt like a huge win. It was just like so cool to be working so hard to get people to write Murray and write Inslee and like tell them to support taking the dams out and then have their draft report come out in favor of that. And the report just, it hit all of the topics that we wanted it to. It was like, it was spot on. The reality of this development was a little underwhelming. This was just a draft report, meaning that another public comment period was needed to inform the final version of the report, which would be released a couple months later. But the news encouraged the team to ramp up their outreach and the team encouraged people to contact officials and express their support for removing the dams. In a video on Instagram, Libby coached followers through the process of submitting public comment. Okay, we're gonna tell you about how to submit your public comment on the Murray Inslee report that just came out. So if you go to the- As they celebrated the news, Brooke and her team faced the reality of navigating an impounded river. As expected, navigating around the dams was much harder than paddling downriver. The team had to be guided by motorboats through locks or carry their boats and gear around the dams. And once they hit the Columbia, strong winds and stagnant water made things even harder. At Bonneville, the most downstream dam on the Columbia and their last major obstacle, the team hit a significant roadblock. There's, there's no portage route. There's no possibility around this. You cannot get through this dam if you are... Brooke says getting around the dams with her kayak made her consider the challenges salmon had faced since the dams were built in the mid-1900s. 
it was just a really weird experience that you legally are supposed to be able to navigate this waterway and you can't and there's nothing you can do about it if it's this hard for us humans to get around these dams like and people give a shit about humans how hard is it for salmon you know no one gives a shit about a little fish and yeah if it's that hard for us like it's got to be exponentially harder for the salmon to get through these dams with help from friends with vehicles the team made it around the dam and continued on to the ocean a few days before they reached the pacific they learned about another encouraging development in the policy world the White House Council on Environmental Equality had released a statement supporting breaching the four dams on the Lower Snake. It was just this huge moment for us. We were like, we had had a really, really rough day the day before with like some super sketchy situations, a lot of wind swell, huge barges, and it was just like, I don't know, we were feeling pretty low. And then we saw that report and we were like, okay, this is why we're doing this. Like, this is worth it. They reached the Pacific Ocean near Long Beach Peninsula in Washington on July 15th, officially completing their full Source to Sea expedition. We're walking to the ocean. (laughs) Under moody skies, the team paddled their kayaks onto the shore and then jogged up the beach, dragging their boats. They sprayed champagne and wrapped their arms around each other. And just over a month after the team reached the ocean, Senator Murray and Governor Inslee released their final report, and it recommends breaching all four Lower Snake River dams. And I honestly, I don't know if we had any impact on those reports coming out in a positive way, but it's still pretty cool to see, like, what you're working towards is maybe having an impact. Even though Brooke has spent much of her life paddling on or thinking about water, she says the source to sea opened her eyes to the fragility of river ecosystems and to the vital, urgent importance of wild rivers. I think the biggest takeaway overall was how connected everything is. We were down on the Columbia, near the mouth of the Columbia, a thousand miles away from where we started on the Salmon River. But it's the same water that we skied our first day when we were exploring the headwaters. And so, like, anything you do throughout that whole watershed affects the rest of the watershed. So you put these dams in, and it's not just where that dam is that's impacted. Everything upstream of it is impacted. It's all connected. And You hear that, but it's so different when you actually experience it and you're like, oh, right, like I literally haven't left this body of water for 78 days and I'm on the same water. Thanks for tuning in to our Wild Innovation series. This third season of the Free Flow podcast is made possible by the Prop Foundation. Our theme music is by Nate Hedgie and Wartime Blues. Stephanie Malterich and Mary Ald produced this episode. For show notes and more on the people you meet, you can visit our website, freeflowinstitute.com. Please subscribe to this show wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening and for being a part of the Free Flow community. And until next time, get outside, do what feels good, and keep in touch.